nothing. Oh, what's up with you? <laughs> nothing. I withheld a burp for you guys. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, you have to edit this, so. I'm going to keep that in there. She doesn't let me edit anymore. She says I, I keep too much I, in there. I stutter a lot. Especially with my aligners, because it's, it's more difficult to speak, and I talk faster than my brain can keep up, mm-hmm. and so I just really mess up my words a lot. Mm. And I just want to make sure for sure that those are she not... She thinks I keep that in. You totally do. No, I don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How's your week? Um, Exhausting. Yeah. I feel like I haven't slept in a year. Yep. But otherwise, it's been good. Good. We've um, both been home. We have both been home because something happened. A week ago today, I had top surgery. Yay. Yep. The teats got yeeted, as Super one might yeeted. say. Yep. And yeah. It went well. Yeah. Stoked sore. for you. But yeah. Yeah, good stuff. So I'm all hopped up on pain meds, aka ibuprofen. ibuprofen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a ready. dosage that you can just get from a regular. Pres- I know, and I bottle. had to pay for the prescription. That's annoying. Seriously. Yeah. Piece of shit. I paid like twenty five bucks for. It's not obviously that's not full price, but it was like twenty five bucks for the. For all of it. Yeah. So it was. Uh, you gonna tell everybody your medical. Whatever. Okay. For uh, antibiotics, <laughs> not a big deal, <laughs> and ibuprofen, and like a couple days worth of the good stuff. The good stuff, but yeah, no, I love how they prescribe ibuprofen. So, yeah, it's been good, it's been a good week. I'll be out for uh, seven more. So, sick, I'm so jealous. Yeah, she's bummed that she has to go back to work. I just really messed up my schedule for this month because the surgery, it wasn't like last minute or anything, but like I really did not plan my schedule around it very well. So it's fine. We'll be good. We'll get past it and then we'll keep doing this and I'll, we'll go camping. We'll do all kinds of, we bought a camper. Holy shit. Yeah. We bought a pop-up camper. Yeah. Do you want to say what the camper's name is? Perry. Hmm. See, that's why I didn't want to even say it, because she doesn't like it. She doesn't like any of the names. She comes up with names that aren't names. I don't honestly don't even remember what I came up with Names at this point, that were not names. But, no, they were definitely names. Mm. Oh, it was like Fatty the pop-up, but it was Fatty, like P-H-A-T-T-Y. That's fatty. That's what, I mean. what? what I mean. It's oh. not a name. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> Anywho, are you ready? For so many to get things. off this tangent and get on to a terrible subject. Yes. Sweet. Sweet. So wait. Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. okay. Ugh. So we're talking, the month of June, we're talking about things that changed the world. And the Columbine shooting, obviously, was monumental mm-hmm. in regards to school shootings, school security, how police approach that kind of thing and it has spurred like a a pattern like ever since columbine happened they happen every year now they happen like once a month mm-hmm. early shootings in general happen mm-hmm. like once a week i don't even like know like mass anymore. shootings happen yeah, yeah. it's insane yep, how so. more popular it's i wouldn't say that columbine was the 
trailblazer for it, but it was definitely something that got a lot of people's interest. Yeah. And not in a good way. No, and I think it, a big part of that is the way that we broadcast things and the way that it's like glamorized. people perceive glamour and yeah. being famous. Like, it seems like to some people there's no difference between being famous for a good thing, like making movies or being a scientist or something like that, and being famous for something horrible, like killing a lot of people. So, yeah. I don't know. Speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of. So I'm going to start by talking about Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Eric was born uh, June, pretty much April. <laughs> April, <laughs> Good April job. 9th of 1981. And Dylan was born on 9-11 of 1981. They met uh, when they were in seventh grade. And by the time they were juniors in high school, they were pretty much best friends. Inseparable, went Took as many classes as they could together, hung out on their off time together, worked together, everything. There's some differing reports on, like, where they sat socially at school. Some say that they were unpopular and they got bullied a lot, but other people say that they were actually kind of, like, middle of the pack and, like, had a lot of friends. A rumor started that the two of them were gay and romantically involved. Mm. Just based on the fact that they hung out together all the time. Then I must have been a lesbian. Yeah, I got that rumor a lot. Turned out to be true and then not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's nobody knows if they were aware of that rumor or not, but oh, it's, it's come up afterwards. Oh, uh, okay. Um, a friend of the two named Chad Laughlin reported that both Harris and Klebold died virgins, so I don't know. Who's to say? Also, how would he know that? I don't know. Apparently, they just talked about that a lot. Probably. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was believed that Harris was more emotionally dependent on Klebold, who was like more liked by more people. So Klebold was kind of more popular than Harris, and Harris just kind of clung to Klebold and was like way more dependent on him. Yeah. In his journals, however, Klebold wrote that he felt that he wasn't accepted and he wasn't loved by anybody, and due to those feelings, he might have sought validation from Harris. Hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Also, the amount of stories that we do where people keep journals just always blows my mind, because I never did. I always tried. I just did couldn't you? keep up with it. didn't I mean, really yeah, have an I guess I would try, it. like, for, like, one day, to be like, yeah. mm, I can't wait to talk about myself. Yeah. I, I got it. over it real yep. quick. Anyways, thanks for making journals, because now we know about your lives. <laughs> right? Um, his mom, Dylan's mom, I don't know if I... It's easier to say, like, Eric and Dylan than it is to say Klebold and yeah, Harris. Yeah. It was kind of hard, like, in my research, because, like, a lot of sources would say their last names, and then some would say their first names, so mm -hmm. I just kind of, like... Flip-flop? Yeah, I flip-flop, yeah. so I'm sorry. No, you're good. Um, Dylan's mom thinks that... Uh, Eric had, like, a lot of rage, which intermingled with Dylan's self-destructive personality and kind of caused them to, like, feed off of each other mm -hmm. and just get worse and worse and worse and worse and more destructive and more destructive. And they just, the mo more time they were spending together, the more they were talking about things and amping each other up, and it just led to this. The dogs. <laughs> They're going to kill us. Probably not. Oh. They amp each other up, so they're like dogs. They're like dogs? Sure. Yeah. Sorry. It's a way to simplify it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to 
validate their actions. <laughs> that was just what popped that's... in my head when you said that. We talk about that dogs. all the time. <laughs> how like all of our dogs are so chill on their own, and then oh, yeah. together they're monsters. The one of them will start like pacing, and the other one's like, "Oh, something's happening." Yeah, well, I'll pace too. Yep. I don't know what it is, but it's gotta be food or outside. <laughs> yeah. Right. No one reacted to that. Wow. So. <laughs> so from their journals, Eric and Dylan seemed to begin planning the attack about a year before it happened. Hmm. Throughout that year, Eric and Dylan pretty much spent all of their time down in the basement building explosives and gathering a whole bunch of weapons. Eric and Dylan were unable to legally purchase guns because um, they were both underage. Dylan enlisted a friend named Robin Anderson, who was 18 years old. She was a Columbine student and a friend of his who made a purchase of two shotguns and a high point carbine, uh, which was like a rifle for the two of them. She did that and she ended up cooperating with the investigation, gave police all the information that she had. So she wasn't charged with anything in regards to the massacre. Interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Hmm. After legally getting those weapons, Dylan sawed off his, I, to be honest, I don't know why I even put all this in there, sawed off his double barrel shotgun and uh, shortened the overall length to approximately 23 inches, which is pretty short. How long are they usually? I don't know. Like twice that? Sure. Okay. I'm not sure. They also possessed a Tech DC-9 semi-automatic handgun, mm-hmm. and it was eventually determined by police and FBI that two men of age bought the, those guns from a Colorado gun dealer and supplied them to the boys. So that's how they got all of them. They weren't like their parents or anything like that. They didn't steal them. They just like had somebody go buy them. Had connections them. to older weird. friends. Yep. The bombs that they used varied and were pretty crudely made from carbon dioxide canisters, galvanized pipe, and metal propane bottles. Um, This ended up being a good thing because a lot of the bombs didn't go off. Mm -hmm. They were primed with matches that were placed at one end, and then both of them had striker tips on their sleeves. So they would just go, light the striker tip, light the bomb. Oh, shit. What the fuck? Uh, The weekend before the shootings... Dylan and Eric purchased propane tanks and other supplies from a hardware store for a couple hundred bucks, and several residents of the area claimed to have heard glass breaking and buzzing sounds from the Harris family's garage, which later police concluded was probably them constructing all the pipe bombs that they would use. They built more complex bombs, such as the one that detonated on the corner of South Wadsworth Boulevard and King Carl King Carroll Avenue. These were designed as, like, distractions mm-hmm. to get the police to go to those while they were, do- like, shooting people at the school. What the fuck? Um, those were on timers, and they actually did go off. Uh, well, one of them actually went off, and it only, like, partially detonated. And it was estimated that any of the bombs that were placed in the cafeteria had detonated the right way. It would have caused extensive structural damage to the school and would have ended up resulting in hundreds of people dying instead of... The 15? Yeah. Well, including them, 13, not Mm -hmm. including them. Mm -hmm. Eric and Dylan left behind several journals, like we said, and they also made a bunch of, like, home videos down in their basement foreshadowing the massacre and explaining why they were doing what they were doing what they hoped to achieve. Harris started keeping a journal in 1998, which was a pretty short time after the two of them had been convicted of breaking into a van. 
they got caught and they got charged and they ended up receiving 10 months of juvie intervention counseling and community service in January of 1998. After that, they started formulating plans, which was reflected in their journals. Um, Eric actually wanted to join the Marine Corps, but his application got rejected shortly before the shootings happened because he was taking antidepressants and he was required to take that because he was in counseling for the charges that he picked up and they prescribed it to him but the marines wouldn't let him in because he was taking that kind of silly yes it's not like he's taking it off the books right also, you know what like, i mean i'm sure there's plenty of people that should that be on it that there's plenty aren't. of people who are on those in the military yeah, and are fully capable of doing that. But jobs. I think back in the 90s, it was, like, super taboo to have any mental health issues yeah. and be in the military. I can so see that. that was, like, an automatic, no, you're not going. Oh, my gosh. Eric didn't state in the application that he was taking any medications, and his recruiter basically found out and hadn't notified him yet that he had been rejected. So oh, that's kind of good. I don't know why I think that. Yeah. I think maybe he would have been more angry and more fucked up if yeah. that's possible if he had known yeah some of his friends thought that he had stopped taking them a few weeks prior to the shootings but during their autopsies they found the normal levels of a of his prescribed medications in him so he hadn't in his journal dylan wrote about his view that he and eric were quote godlike and they believed that they were more highly evolved than every other human being uh, but a secret journal records self-loathing and also suicidal ideations. So, who knows what he really thought about himself. I wonder if it was just, like, the two of them together. Maybe. They were, like, he's like, yeah, we're unstoppable, all this shit. And then when he's alone, he's just like, I hate my life. Yes. I don't know. He also Hard happened to, to be, like, secretly in love with a fellow student that was oh. described in his journals, too. So, Ooh. he's dealing with that, too. Both had some issues controlling their anger, which is pretty common, I would say, for their age group. Yeah. Dylan, his anger led to him being more prone to serious trouble than Harris. So he had, um, like, less control. He had less control and was more apt to do impulsive things, but Eric would just do whatever Dylan was doing. Mm-hmm. So After that arrest that we talked about before, both recorded that being the most traumatic thing that they had ever experienced. And Dylan wrote a letter to Eric saying how they would have so much fun getting revenge and killing police and how, quote, wrath from the January arrest would be godlike. So they use that term a lot for themselves. Godlike. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. On the day of the massacre, Dylan wore a black t-shirt which had the word wrath printed in red. And it was speculated that the re- that revenge for the arrest was a possible motive for the attack, but I don't really see that being... Who they were targeting. Right. The pair planned on having a massive gun battle with police during the shooting, and that's kind of where that came from. Mm. Dylan wrote that life was no fun without a little death, and that he would like to spend the last moments of his life in nerve-wracking twists of murder and bloodshed. (laughs) Meanwhile, while I was in high school, I was in marching band, and that's what I was concerned about. I was super stoked when we were at football games. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's um, what I look forward to. 
Dylan concluded his journals by saying that he would kill himself afterward in order to leave the world that he hated to go to a better place. And he was described as being hot-headed but depressive and suicidal. Oh so God. everything that he wrote lined up with that. Was he described as being suicidal after because they got to read his journals? I don't know. Because it'd be interesting to think of, like, peers beforehand being like, yeah. oh, Dylan keeps saying about how he wants to kill himself. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways. The two of them reportedly discussed their motives for the attacks in several home recorded videos, which have now been dubbed the basement tapes. Um, they've also been destroyed by police because police thought that if those tapes got out, they would serve almost as like a blueprint instead of being like educational. Mm. I guess it, that is educational. I mean, I can in, see that, but in it, a way. I just wish there was a way to like control yeah. whose hands it goes into like a library. Mm hmm. Like, the restricted section of the library in Harry Potter, mm -hmm. it could be in there. It could be in there. Who knows? Could totally be in there. <laughs> um. So now I'm going to go through some of the victims in the order in which they died. Yeah. And I just also want to say real quick that that's basically all that we're going to say about Dylan and Eric because, again, we know that... Because fuck them. These things get glorified in ways that I we don't want to do that. So we really want to talk about the victims yep. and honor them and as much as we can. So I don't think we like explicitly said this, but all this happened on the morning of April, April 20th, 20th of 1999 and all these victims were just kiddos that were at school. Yeah. Just going to school, normal day, and this happened. Um, so the first was Rachel Joy Scott. She was born on August 5th of 1981. She was 17 at the time. She was born in Denver and was number three out of five kiddos. She had two older sisters and two younger brothers. Her parents were Daryl Scott and Beth Nimmo, who divorced in 1989, but uh, had a pretty good relationship and civil divorce, and mm -hmm. it was amicable. They had joint custody, but Beth moved to Littleton and, remar yep, and remarried in 1995. Rachel was a devout Christian who was the subject of and co-writer of several books. She was bullied throughout her high school years for being open about her faith. She was hit four times while eating lunch with her friend Richard Castaldo on the grass outside the entrance of the school. So that was before they even got inside. Yeah. Richard, who was shot eight times and left permanently paralyzed from his injuries, uh, once he woke up out of the coma, recounted that Eric returned when he realized that Rachel was still alive and looked at her and asked, do you still believe in God? And he lifted her head by the hair and mm. said that to her. And she answered, you know I do. And Eric said, then go be with him and shot her in the head. God, how fucked up is that? Super fucked up. I hate it. Mm -hmm. Her diaries have inspired many victims of bullying and a charity called Rachel's Challenge, uh, which is a nationwide school outreach, outreach program, uh, was developed that's geared towards the prevention of teen violence based on her life and her diaries. This charity has estimated to have reached out to 2 million students, one of which was in Sammy's high school. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have good experiences from that, or did you participate, or no? It was like, uh, I can't remember if it was the whole school. I feel like it was, but I feel like... I can't remember, because sometimes they break it up by, like, the seniors will go. Right. And they do, like, four different presentations for each mm -hmm. class or whatever. Yeah. But it was when I was a senior in high school, and then 
I feel like it was probably near the end of the year when they did it because at our graduation, they, I can't remember if it was a goodie bag or if it was like on our chairs or something like that. They gave us like one of those rubber bracelets, like lift strong bracelets, you know, Mm -hmm. and it says I will not be labeled as average, which was something that she had put in her diaries and stuff. So like it was like what they talked about during the graduation, they were like, have Give, everybody has one of these to remember that you will not be labeled as... It was really nice. What I'm saying sure. makes it sound cheesy, but, like, I have had it on my keys ever since, so it's been almost 10 years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I know. And I didn't remember what it was until, until we started doing, doing research, research, and I was yeah. like, this sounds familiar to me, and then I looked up the bracelet, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> That's wild. Isn't it? Yeah. Anyways... Rachel's younger brother, Craig, was in the library during the shooting, which uh, we'll talk about him in a minute. Her car was turned into a flower-shrouded memorial in the adjacent Clement Park after being moved from the school's parking lot by grieving students, and a long chain-link fence was installed for mourners to attach teddy bears, letters, and other gifts. Rachel posthumously was awarded the 2001 National Kindness Award for Student of the Year by the Acts of Kindness Association. And in 2006, the National Education Association of New York awarded Daryl Scott and Rachel's Challenge the Friend of Education Award. Her family has traveled to schools to educate on violence, and her brother Craig has spoken to the White House and talked to then-President George W. Bush and other White House staff about cultural issues and his experiences while touring for Rachel's Challenge. Super cool. as bad as it is, that is a good outcome. There's a lot of good outcomes. Yeah. I'm surprised by my our research about like how many good things have come from this yeah. more than just oh totally how it is more affected. than just like logistical logistical logistical. Yeah. <laughs> how do you you say posthumously? Yeah. During Pearl Harbor, I said posthumously. Yeah, I know. Is it either way? It's posthumously. Fuck me! Why didn't you correct me? <laughs> I don't think it matters. Okay. <laughs> Well, if I'm saying it wrong, <laughs> I feel bad. Don't feel bad now. <laughs> like, people have listened to Pearl Harbor <laughs> and are listening to me say they posthumously. <laughs> I think people say it like that sometimes. Do they? Yes. Posthumously. posthumously. I'm going to start saying it like that from now on. And I'm going to leave this in here as a discussion of <laughs> how <laughs> I messed up. <laughs> okay. Anyways, next. Um, next is Daniel Rohrberg. He was born on March 2nd of 1984, and he was only 15. Pearlie had an interest in electronics and computer games and was looking forward to getting his driver's permit. He was headed out of the cafeteria to a nearby park with his friends Lance Kirkland and Sean Graves to eat his lunch. He had Dr. Pepper in his hand and the gunman approached the school. Dan was shot in the abdomen and the leg and Lance tried to catch him but was shot as well and they both fell. Dylan then walked up and shot Dan again point blank to the chest and he died right there on the sidewalk. His death was the most public and his body remained in a pool of blood outside the school for 24 hours. Holy shit. But just wait. Other reports say that nearly two days before paramedics were allowed to move him. What? So basically, sorry, that's where my shorthand got the best of me. Basically, I read that it was either 24 hours to two days. There's no way. Before paramedics could get to his no body. No way. That's what I'm saying, right? No way. I don't know. I don't believe it. That's horrible. Yeah. 
Um, Anyways. Dan's mom, who said she, quote, usually didn't see him in the mornings, had a little talk with him, gave him a kiss and a hug over breakfast on that day before he walked out of their home and never came back. So that is lucky. Yeah. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah. Fortunately, his dad knew something was wrong when Dan didn't show up to his shop after school like he normally did. So he went to the school and obviously saw what was happening, but he had no idea that Dan was dead. The family was kept in the dark about what had happened about their son. Law enforcement told them they didn't know for certain that the body on the sidewalk was Dan and wouldn't let the family in to check for themselves. That makes no sense to me. It wasn't until the morning after the shootings that the family found out for certain what they already knew because he didn't come home yeah literally. obviously he's one of them and he's probably that one mm. um that he was indeed the one outside and uh, they learned this because it was all over the morning news and not because family was directly told by officials that is fucked up that's unfortunately that's a pattern a, of what happened for these victims that's not how it should happen no things got worse when word started going around from deputies that dan might have died from friendly fire from the swat team I, that came from Obviously one of the happen, deputies. But, yeah. But, but yeah, it didn't happen. No. Uh, I was indeed later confirmed that the bullets that killed Dan were from Dylan and Eric. Which one, though, people kind of still debate. But that didn't prevent a lawsuit, which Dan's family won. Good for them. Yeah. They were like... Seems fair. Just fucking... Yeah. They, yeah. I can't remember if it was one lawsuit or two lawsuits, but they sued the police department. The police department. Not only because the allegations of one of the deputies being like, well, he might have been killed because of one of us. And then, like, also, like, their son's body laid out there forever. Uh, They probably had a bunch of things that they could win against. We're going to talk about William David, who goes by Dave Sanders. He was born October 22nd, 1951. He was 47. He was the computer and business teacher for 25 years at Columbine, and he was the coach of the girls' basketball and softball teams. He was also a dad and grandfather. When the noise of gunfire started outside the school, Dave ran to the cafeteria to warn the students, and it's estimated that Dave successfully managed to get around 100 students and other staff members away from the shooters. Dave remained at the school to try to secure as much of the school as he could, but eventually ran into Dylan and Eric in an upstairs hall as he was trying to get students safe in classrooms. He was shot in the back and neck as he tried to escape in the opposite direction. That's when Dylan walked over to Dave, who had collapsed on the floor, and threw a pipe bomb down the hall. Dave managed to drag himself to a science classroom where a colleague kept him alive for three hours by attempting to stop the bleeding by using shirts from students and anything really that they could use. One student, Deidre Casera, held up a sign in the window that said, quote, one bleeding to death, end quote. But basically it's assumed that they, this warning was ignored by officials. And Dave's last words were, tell my family I love them. Geek. Yeah. Even though... <sighs> I'm not going to cry. It's fine. Even though Dave was third to be shot, he was the last to die, it's assumed. Wow. Yeah, because he at least... He totally could have made it. He totally could have. Yeah. Uh, it's fine. Uh, so now we're going to talk about Kyle Velasquez. He was born May 5th of 1982. He was 16. This one I'm totally going to start crying on, and I'm already very sorry. Kyle was described as a big teddy bear, and he loved his ice cream. You might have to do this one. Okay. I don't think I can do it. Okay. Okay. 
Um, the next one is Kyle Velasquez. He was born May 5th of 1982, and he was 16 at the time. He is described as a big teddy bird and loved ice cream. Same. He suffered a stroke as a baby, which left him with mental disabilities and severe asthma. He had only just started at Columbine three months before April. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. Um, he had also just started to stay at school through lunch, so he would go somewhere else. Um, no, I think it's because of his mental disabilities. They were trying to ease him into school. Oh. So they wouldn't keep him through lunch. Gotcha. So he just started staying through lunch. Okay. He was in the library sitting at one of the computer tables because he apparently loved computers and was unfortunately the first victim of the 10 held hostage um, in the library. He curled up under the computer table and was killed by Dylan's shots that hit Kyle in the head and the back. His last words to his mom were, goodbye, I love you, mom. Though Kyle never served in the military, he was buried with military honors in Fort Logan National Cemetery in Denver uh, because his father was a Navy vet and Kyle had aspirations of his own to enlist after high school. His parents were given flags from his coffin and one was flown at half-mast at the state capitol in his honor. Yep. Okay. Can you keep going? No, I can do it. Um, the next is Stephen um, Kernow. Uh, he, is that right? I don't know. Stephen Kernow. He was born on August 28th, 1984. He was 14. Stephen, who planned to become a Navy Top Gun pilot, was very active in soccer, so much that he worked part-time as a referee. He was also a Star Wars fan, and he was anxiously awaiting the release of Star Wars 1, The Phantom Menace, which released on May 19th, so a little less than a month. Steve was in the library and hiding under the computer tables near Casey Rugsegger, who survived the attack. Eric was shot by... Nope. Eric walked by... <laughs> okay. Goddamn. It's hard to read with blurry eyes. Eric walked by and shot Steve in the neck with a sawed-off shotgun. Steve was the youngest victim of the shooting. In tribute, a note was read at his funeral by um, Stephen's mom that said, Thank you for that special moment two weeks ago when you said, quote, Mom, I bet there aren't many guys who can discuss things with their mom like we do. Oh. End quote. Um, being... And being such a Star Wars fan, sci-fi fans nationwide put together a go-to Star Wars Memorial Day in his honor when The Phantom Menace premiered. Mm. Um, Steve was also buried at Fort Logan National Cemetery in Denver because of his aspirations to mm. be in the Navy. Next is Cassie Bernal. She was born on November 6th, 1981. She was 17. Cassie was born to parents Brad and Misty, who had a brother named Chris, and she was also raised in a Christian home. It's reported that Cassie rebelled as a young teen and began experimenting with alcohol and drugs. Her parents sent her to Columbine, hoping that a new school and new friends would change her actions or whatever. And then I found conflicting reports about this next part, that sh her parents may have made her go to a church retreat around 1997, so like a year and a half before, but I also found that it was her choice to go to this church retreat. Either way, she went to a weekend church retreat after she had started having suicidal and homicidal thoughts towards her parents and herself. Okay. Yeah. They said after she got back that they had their daughter back, and she returned as an entirely different person. Cassie was standing in the library when the shooting started and tried to hide alongside another girl under a computer table. 
A substitute teacher, Patty Nielsen, entered the library and told everybody to get down if they weren't already. That's when Eric entered the library and started to slap the top of the table that Cassie was at before saying peekaboo. And then he bent down and shot Cassie on the right side of her head and she died immediately. It is initially reported by Craig Scott, Rachel's brother, the first victim, that this is his recollection. A victim was asked by one of the gunmen if she believed in God, to which a voice allegedly said yes, and then they were shot to death. Craig believed at the time that it was Cassie's voice that he heard respond. Um, Her parents, because of this, later wrote a book titled She Said Yes, honoring their daughter. However, officers took Craig to the library and asked where he heard the voices and pointed to where Valine Schnur was sitting, and she had also been shot in hiding, but she survived. And once talking to Valine, it was determined that the question was not posed to Cassie, but to Val, who had already been, like I said, wounded by a gunshot. And when she replied yes, whoever the shooter was asked her that question ended up walking away weird isn't it especially after rachel Mm -hmm. so i don't know there's like so many things that have um or have been inspired by like the book like i said and cassie's presentation as a christian martyr essentially so like several songs have been written about her such as flyleaf have you yeah. yeah, so that song, Cassie. And then mm-hmm. Michael Smith's This Is Your Time. The video for This Is Your Time includes a short clip beginning of Cassie talking about her beliefs. Mm. So, much like the rest of the victims, Cassie didn't get confirmation, or I'm sorry, Cassie's parents didn't get confirmation of her death until two days after the shooting. It's wild. Isn't it? Next is Isaiah Scholes. He was born August 4th of 1980. He was 18. He was aspiring comedian and music executive. Isaiah was born with a heart defect but managed to overcome his disability and went on to play football and wrestling. It's super sad, but we have to talk about it. Isaiah quit playing football the year before because of possible racial intimidation claimed by his father because he was black. He was studying in the library with his friends Matt Ketcher and Craig Scott, Rachel's brother, when the shooters entered. They, like everybody else, hid under a table, and apparently Isaiah had problems previously with Dylan and Eric before. So when Dylan spotted Isaiah, he called Eric over using a racial slur towards Isaiah, and they got on either side of the table to... To intimidate him, I guess. Then they decided to, Dylan and Eric, use more racial comments and tried to pull Isaiah out from under the table. They were unable to do so, and instead, Eric shot him in the chest and killed him. Dylan then shot Matt and killed him. Meanwhile, Craig survived by playing dead in the pool of blood from his dying friends, even though Isaiah was the last one of the victims to be buried. Martin Luther King III, which is Martin Luther King Jr.'s son, spoke at Isaiah's funeral. So now we're going to talk about Matthew, since I just talked about how he dies. He was born February 19th of 1983. He was 16. Matt also played on the football team, which is presumably where he and Isaiah became friends. He was a larger guy, which made him perfect to play offensive and defensive lines for the football team, and he was also a weightlifter. Matt is remembered by his family and friends for putting school first and having a good heart and being consistently happy and laughing. 
Matt was shot in the chest by Dylan, and his parents said in a tribute he was a wonderful role model for his little brother. Matt planned to attend the University of Colorado, to which they, the, the college sent his younger brother, Adam, one of their jerseys with his brother's football number on it. Oh. Yeah, number 70. Next is Lauren Dawn Townsend. She was born January 17th of 1981. She was 18. She was known by her friends and family as Lulu. Lauren was captain of the girls' varsity volleyball team, to which her mom, Dawn Anna, was the coach. Um, she was in the National Honor Society and a candidate as valedictorian of her class. She also volunteered at her local animal shelter. Lauren was in the library with her friends, Lisa Krutz, Diwata Perez, Valine Schnur, who we already talked about, Gianna Park, and Kelly Fleming. Lauren got down under the tables when that substitute teacher ran in and told them to hide. Lauren put her arm around Valine, who was very frightened as they listened to their classmates die God, and get tormented in the library. No, I could not. Um, Dylan came over to their table and began shooting at the group of friends. Lisa and Val were injured by the fire, but Lauren was hit several times in the head, chest, and lower body and died. Eric then came back around and shot under the table again when Lauren got more injuries. Um, sorry, and then Lauren got more injuries, but she she was was already already dead, so, I mean, it mattered, but it wasn't like she was suffering more. And, I don't coincidentally, it's not the word to put it, but she ended up being shot more times than any of the other victims. A lot of people are trying to understand, like, a reason Why? for that, but I don't I don't think there is. I think they were just being fucked up and assholes and realized there were people still alive under that table and wanted yeah. to end that. Also, guys, I'm sorry my voice is shaking. I'm trying really hard not to cry. Okay. Next is John Tomlin. He was born September 1st, 1982. He was 17. John loved church and trucks, to which he got his license and got to drive a Chevy truck that he had been fixing and working on since he was 14. Apparently, he once drove to Mexico to help build a house for a poor family, so he was very charitable. John spent his lunch break in the library almost all the time studying, so unfortunately, he was obviously there when Eric and Dylan came in. He, like everybody else, hid under the table and welcomed a stranger to him, Nicole Nowlin, to hide under the desk with him, where he held her hand in comfort while they listened to the shooters kill their classmates. Eric shot John without looking who was under the table before Dylan went around and shot him point blank in the head. Nicole was shot in the stomach, but she survived. Um, Hmm. Much like Rachel's car, John's truck became a memorial in the parking lot. John was the first victim to have a funeral and was buried in a coffin embroidered with Chevy trucks. Hmm. Next is Kelly Fleming. She was born January 6th, 1983. She was 16. Kelly started at Columbine, much like Kyle, just three months before the shooting. She was moving from Phoenix. She was shy but creative. She loved Halloween and inspired to be a songwriter and author. She was writing poems, as she usually did in the library during lunch break when Eric and Dylan entered. Kelly tried to hide under the table with a group of girls, but due to the lack of room, she was partially visible. This was when they opened fire, killing Lauren and injuring Val, who we had talked about before, but... um, they left, like I said, and they went to the table where John and Nicole were killing John, and then they came back to where Kelly was hiding, and then coming up from behind, Eric shot Kelly in the back with a sawed-off shotgun. Her body was found close to Lauren's, probably because they were sharing a table. 
Two months before the shooting, Kelly's mom remembers her coming home and saying, I'm not shy anymore. Oh, my God. To me, the next one. Yeah. Okay. Next one is Daniel Connor Mauser, born June 25th, 1983. He was 15. Daniel had a sister named Christine and is known to be a straight-A student who had an interest in math and science. And he was also known for being shy, but was a part of the debate team. He volunteered at the Swedish hospital and was preparing for confirmation in the Catholic Church, to which would have happened two weeks after he died. Oddly, Daniel went to the same middle school as Dylan and Eric, but there's nothing that shows that the three actually knew each other other than just being classmates. Daniel hid under a table when the teacher came in and told them to. Daniel pushed a chair in front of Eric as he approached an attempt to knock him over. And Eric commented, nice glasses, before he shot Dan in the face. Posthumously, Daniel was selected for National Honor Society, which he applied to weeks before the shootings, as well as winning the Stretch for Excellence Award for being the top biology student in the sophomore class. Ironically, Dan expressed concern about gun safety in America and talked to his dad about loopholes in the Brady Bill, which is a provision of U.S. federal law that requires a waiting period for handgun purchases and background checks on those who want to purchase a handgun. His dad became an advocate against the NRA and has attempted to petition and campaign for stricter gun laws since Daniel died because of one of those loopholes. Um, Not long after the shootings, Daniel... His family, along with several other families of the shooting victims, learned that the school district was planning to reopen the library where Dan and the others had died. The plan was only to make some cosmetic changes, such as removing the carpet, repainting, replacing bullet-riddled shelves, things like that. And the families were upset. So they... Obviously. Yeah. So they and several other parents and volunteers founded HOPE which is, it stands for Healing of People Everywhere, and together they convinced the district to tear out the old library and replace it, and the new library is now located adjacent to the school, so it's not even in the same spot. Yeah. Uh, Daniel was buried at Mount Olivet Cemetery alongside Kelly Fleming and Matt Kechter. 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 Next is Corey DePooter. He was born on March 3rd, 1982. He was 17. Corey was described as an all-American kid who put his schoolwork above everything else. He also wrestled and liked to play golf as well as fish and hunt. Corey was in the library with his best friend Austin Eubank, I'm sorry, Eubanks, and Jennifer Doyle when the shooting happened. Austin watched as Dylan aimed that semi-automatic weapon at Corey and pulled the trigger, killing Corey almost instantly. Austin said in a tribute to Corey, quote, people said he was the kind of guy people like to be around. I know I sure did. Corey was always able to pick up our spirits in a gloomy situation, end quote. Corey had hopes of becoming a Marine, so after his death, Fern Hamilton, his grandmother, reached out to the Marine Corps to possibly hold a, like a ceremony for Corey. And on May 3rd of 2000, Corey was made an honorary Marine during a ceremony at his gravesite at Chapel Hill Memorial Gardens. And then I'm going to talk briefly about those that were seriously injured in the shooting. Uh, Richard Castaldo, who we talked about previously, who was with Rachel out front of the school. Mm-hmm. He was 17. He was shot in the arm, chest, back, and abdomen uh, alongside the west entrance to the school. Sean Graves was 15. He was shot in the back, foot, and abdomen near the west staircase. 
Uh, Lance Kirkland was 16. He was injured by shots to his leg, neck, and jaw near the west staircase. Michael Johnson was 15. He was shot in the face, arm, and leg at the west entrance of the staircase. Mark Taylor is 16. He was shot in his chest, arms, and leg, also at the staircase. And then Anne-Marie Hawkhalter, she was 17. She was shot in the chest, arm, and abdomen, back, left leg, and she was near the cafeteria entrance. Then Brian Anderson, he was 17. He was near the west entrance, and he was injured by flying glass. And then Patty Nielsen, the substitute teacher that we talked about, she was 35. She was hit in the shoulder by shrapnel near the west entrance. And lastly, Stephanie Munson, she was 17, and she was shot in the ankle near the north hallway. I'm just going to quickly go over others that were injured, but not seriously. Um, Nicholas Foss, Joyce Jankowski, who was a teacher, Adam Kyler, Trista Morrell, Evan Todd, Mackay Hall, Patrick Ireland, Daniel Steepleton, Casey Rugsegger, Lisa Kruitz, Valine Schnur, Mark Kinktigan, Nicole Nowlin, Gianna Park, Jennifer Doyle, and Austin Eubanks. Now, we're going to very briefly just summarize this horrific event by talking about Dylan and Eric murdering 13 people, 12 students and one teacher in cold blood, and left 24 with serious injuries. After leaving the library, Dylan and Eric walked around the science area and cafeteria before re-entering the library, which was now empty of surviving students, apart from 200 people that probably couldn't move, maybe yeah. shock or just mm-hmm. injured enough to where they couldn't. Yeah. Um, they were perhaps planning to watch their car bombs go off, which were set for noon, but the bombs were duds. They didn't go off. So Eric sat down with his back to the bookshelves and shot himself through the roof. Ruth, oh my gosh, roof of his mouth, and Dylan went down on his knees and shot himself in the left temple. Jeez. Yeah. So that's Jesus Christ. fucked up. So what has Columbine given us other than tears and sadness? Um, I mean, the police tactics have been heavily scrutinized, and we talk about them every single time we have an active shooter training every what not single to do time. what not to do because they were trained to wait for SWAT oh that was their training so they there were cops there and they were staged around the outside but they were trained to not go inside until SWAT was spun up and we you and I both know how long that takes that's like trying Literally. to plan the prom especially because I'm not sure how it was for um I assume it's like the Denver area. I think it was Arapahoe County. Denver has a full time SWAT team. Oh, but they have they a full time. Denver oh. does, and I think they probably went. But still, the time to page these people, have they get... have to get their stuff because they're they probably have to get they might to the, be... the staging location yeah. and develop a plan of what the fuck they're gonna do. Yeah. So that waste time. Yeah. So that is a major change. Yeah. Um. Now we're trained to go in as one officer, two officers. Right. Deal with what's going on as best as we can, even though SWAT's not there. Right. Which is what we saw at King Supers Mm -hmm. in Boulder. A hundred percent. Yeah. That would have been a hundred times worse had they waited for SWAT. No, literally. Yeah. So. So that is the biggest police takeaway in that there are policies almost now and and training from the get-go. Once you're out of the academy, you're trained to just go. Yeah. And if you hear shit popping off you go there Mm -hmm. and if you see people down 
you radio it, go deal with whatever's going on, and yeah. come back and you help them. Yeah. You don't wait for SWAT. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I literally just talked about this with one of our officers for my other podcast um, about active assailant situations, and I didn't know that you guys had like some gear in the back you guys have like a helmet just in case you have a an automatic rifle to like be prepared for these kinds of situations and it's it's sad it makes me sad that we have to be prepared for Mm -hmm. somebody to start killing people but yeah at least we're more prepared than we were back then yeah yeah had you know the officers that were there gone in Mm -hmm. would have been totally different situation and everybody knows that and they know that it sucks. Cause Littleton PD knows that. In hindsight, there. they were just following policy. But at the end of the day, it's like... I'm sure I would the like debate, to think that I would break policy. That's though. what I was going to say. I'm mm-hmm. sure the debate is that if you're a good cop with a good heart, you would have yeah. you would have fucking gone in there. If you're not trained to do that, I don't know yeah. if you would. I know. I don't, I don't Who know. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know. I've always been trained to do that, and that's what I would do. In that, so I can't speak to what they would have done they back then. Done, but... That was a huge takeaway, and nationwide, mm-hmm. this idea that you wait for huge, you know, contact teams has changed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's a good thing. I think so, too. Um, another aftermath of the shooting was uh, tightened security at schools. And depending on how large the school was, the funding, the budgets, we now had SROs, school resource officers, in most schools. Um, I know now there's at least one in each high school here, um, and I think there's some in a couple of the middle schools, and that's how it was back in my hometown, too, and mm-hmm. the other agency that I worked for. Students are required to carry IDs at most places. I know some places even have, like, metal detectors. Like, we some really detectors. go all out. Did you? We did after our stabbing. Oh, that makes um, sense. We didn't before. We all we all had IDs, but you didn't have to use them to get in. And then after our incident happened, they put like metal detectors only in like the main doors. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They picked and choosed where they wanted security, and then it ended at, up just at my school. All of the doors were locked except for the main entrance during school hours. If it was after school hours, the doors were open for everybody weird yeah so well i mean like for a certain amount of time right, right, but like right, the right. janitors would lock up but like yeah. after the school bell rang you were free to go out like enter yeah. through any door yep. my brother i told i told you about this earlier that like after what was it virginia tech mm-hmm. they were like tightening down security again and he always got called out for like he looked older he looked way older he looked like a 40 year old man and everyone like teachers would be like excuse me sir like are you allowed to be in here and he's just like i must look at my id i'm a student yeah <laughs> so thing with ours is it happened before school even started so yeah and the guy went into just like a heavily congregated part of the school yeah it was like the main um like atrium area where people's lockers were so everybody was just waiting for the bell to ring yeah, just, just gathered walked, he just walked in just Jesus. like everybody else. Like, it's yeah. not... You can put in as much security as you want. They're students there. Yeah. They would have gotten in. Literally. Like... I don't know. I don't know. It, I think that's more of a feel-good thing. Yeah, totally. Like, they're, like, on paper, look at all these things that we're doing to prevent these things from happening. Jack's getting a little crazy with his whiskey. Sorry. It's okay. I'm drinking out straws now because I can't... Just, can't, like... With my chest, it's hard to... 
slug tip, one back. Tip back. To take shots. <laughs> um, I'm curious, though, because when this happened, I think, what did we decide? We were, like, in kindergarten. In 99, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember Columbine I at all. I don't remember it. Yeah. I remember a little bit on the news, but I wouldn't I say I remember that day. I don't remember at all. I remember 9-11. I do, too. But I don't remember this yeah. at all. And it's just so interesting because I'm sure that it affected our parents. I'm I'm curious about how those conversations yeah, went. It was like our first year in school. Yeah. There's a major shooting. So major, it's the biggest one that's happened. Yeah. As of my research of April 20th of last year, which I imagine with COVID and people not being in classes for a majority of the time, yep. it was still the largest school shooting in uh, U.S. history. So yep. super fucked up. But also, is that a good thing? Because tactics have changed yeah. and we're, e- like, able yeah. to, like, Spawn get to the quicker. target quicker. Not, like, a good thing that it's still happening, but... It's a good thing because it's our... silver lining. We get to them faster. Yeah. How long... Anyways. I mean, I didn't look this up and I should have. How long between the start and the end? So, Dylan and Eric started dressing up for the event at 11.19 in the morning. And by 11.35, that's when they started shooting at all the students and everything and then shortly after 12 is when they killed themselves so not even an hour jeez yeah that's crazy yeah what a time seriously i know it's changed my job as well with how we deal with active shooters i don't know how it was before but we have an active shooter policy i I shouldn't say shooter because it's like an active assailant now like they can kill with more than just a gun right but um like, we have policies of what we do as dispatchers, because people are clearly, everyone in that school, I don't know if 99, you were really able to have cell phones. Was there cell phones? There were landlines in classrooms, and yeah. I'm sure people were calling 911 for it, and it's yeah. like, what do we do in that situation? How do we help people? And I think it's important to think of just, this is my personal perspective because of my, my job. Right. So please don't take offense to what I'm saying. I... Th- what I'm saying is, in my job, I am accountable for you, the caller. If you're calling me saying there's somebody shooting, I'm going to be concerned about you. And I want you to get out of that situation if you're able to. Mm-hmm. I don't. I care about you and you need to get out of the situation because my job is to make less victims than yeah. there already is. Mm-hmm. So I know it's going to suck not knowing where your friends are and you want to search for them or your family members, but... I yep. do not want to create more victims in a situation that's already bad. Yep. So if you're able to find an exit and get out, if not, shelter in place, lock doors, hide yourself, mm-hmm. like anything to make yourself as scarce as possible, yep. which is good to know just in general, like of exits of where you are. If you're in a crowded place, like try to make sure that you're able to at least get to an exit. Especially if it's someplace you go every day. Yeah. Like, the grocery like, store. know some good places, like, to get out. Yeah. And, like, think about that. Right. When I worked in retail at uh, a mall, we had a policy that if there was an active assailant in the mall, what we would do is gather as many customers as possible in the store, lock the gates, and put them in the back room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like. <laughs> Smart. Yeah. So, if you're able, if you're in a mall, if you're in a large public area like that, that every store I guarantee you has that same policy. Yep. Get in there because those gates, they're not going to be able to do anything through those gates. And once you get into the back rooms, who cares if you're seeing our sh- 
our stock of whatever supplies we have. Literally do not give a shit. I feel like once, if it's like a single shooter too, once you're in a room with a ton of people, Mm -hmm. if I was in a room and somebody like gathered in a, corralled in a room and an active shooter came in, I'd fucking take that guy out. Yeah, totally. There's more of a chance. There's more of us. To take him out. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't mean to turn this into a PSA, but try to keep it as safe as possible. It's hard nowadays, but. Yep. <sighs> you got anything else? Because I'm wiped. Yeah. Sorry I cried. <laughs> no. <laughs> she was crying doing the research. I knew she was going to cry during this. I also cried during my Pearl Harbor research, and I didn't cry during that episode. It's a little different. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. We'll try and do something more cheery next week, maybe. <laughs> yeah. We'll, ch- we'll, we'll see. What we had originally planned was just really fucked up shit, but now we're like... Now we're sitting here like, I can't do this. <laughs> I can't do another week of seeing how many people have died. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll try to do something cheery. Cheery events that change the world. Jeez. <laughs> Oh man! In the Anyways. meantime, uh, you can find us on Gmail at who knew podcast six 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 at gmail dot com. Hit us up if you want us to talk about stuff or if you have any input. And uh, you can also find us on Instagram. Also, hit us up if you have any input. Who knew podcast? Um, we love chatting it up on there. Totally. And other than that, I'm good. I don't have anything. I'm good. All of the dogs are sleeping, so you're going to have to deal with us saying goodbye today. Even though it's always us saying goodbye. I'll say bye. bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>